0: Welcome to the The Youth Youth Ministry Ministry in In Motion Motion Podcast. Podcast.
1: The number one youth ministry podcast on the planet. The
0: show that keeps you motivated and your youth ministry moving forward. Now, here's your host, author, speaker, and trainer, Paul Turner. What? What's going on, youth workers? What are you doing? Are you running? Are you walking? Are you in your car? Are you taking a bath? I don't know what you're doing, but thanks for listening. No matter where you're at or what you're doing, if you're brand new to the podcast, thank you so much for uh, listening in. This is episode 99 of the Youth Ministry of Motion podcast. Who thought, raise of hands here, show of hands, how many of you thought I would get to 99? I don't know. I don't know if I'm raising my hand, but I'm glad to be here, and uh, episode 100 is right around the corner. So I want to thank all of you for uh, getting me to this point uh, through kind words, which I'm about to read, by the way. Some of you have left some five star reviews and it's these reviews that let me know that what I am bringing you is valuable. So let me go and read you a couple of these um, Uh, reviews here. Uh, practical and fun. This is by a fan of the podcast. Thank you. Fan of the podcast says, I really like listening to Paul. He's super practical. And since he has so many years experience in youth ministry, I have found his wisdom to be super helpful. Thank you. Fan of the podcast. I I, I appreciate your kind words. I I love sharing uh, what I've learned and what I continue to learn uh, about youth ministry. And uh, I enjoy passing it on to you. Uh, here's another one from DJ for a L unbelievably amazing. Uh, if you're a youth pastor, this is an absolute must listen. Paul Turner truly has the heartbeat of this generation of students from a wide variety of topics to a hilarious personality. You'll leave each episode stoked and ready to be the best youth pastor God has designed you to be. Thank you, DJ for Alabama. That is uh, super awesome. I appreciate that very much. And, uh, I don't know if I'm hilarious or not, but I don't know. We'll go with that. I'm, I'm, look, it's all subjective, folks. You, 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 can, you can leave a review. And I would love if you did just go on over to iTunes. There'll be a link down in the show notes. Go over to iTunes, leave a five star review. I'll be happy to read it. Uh, and thank you guys so much for the encouragement. Uh, I would love to have. Uh, a bunch to read for episode 100. So that'll be coming up very soon. So if you want to jump on that now, uh, I would love to read a bunch there. It's a way to celebrate episode 100. I debated hard as to whether or not make, whether episode 100 was a thing or not. Uh, I left a little poll over there on our Facebook group. So you can go check that out. Uh, just search Youth Ministry Emotion Motion podcast and uh, you will find it. And so if you would like to uh, still chime in, to make episode 100, is it a thing, or is it is it just another episode? So feel free to go over there and vote. Um, today, uh, episode 99. I am happy to bring you a new friend of mine, Paul Ward. Paul Ward is a chaplain uh, at a uh, facility where kids uh, who have gone through trauma, traumatic experience, maybe it's their their. Their parents, most of the parents, you know, committing a crime of some kind, they're they're taken away, and uh, they are placed uh, in this facility where Paul is a um, is a chaplain, and he works with these students. And today we're talking about trauma. We're talking about teenagers and trauma, and how to work with these students. How to how to you know have a mindset that not every kid. That walks into our youth ministry is okay. Uh, and he talks about levels of trauma. It's super fascinating. It's just a, it's a super great insight episode where you say, okay, I need to look at youth ministry a little bit differently, uh, maybe week to week so that I can best minister to students who are, who are not okay. Uh, you know, so go ahead, listen to Paul, take some notes and, uh, I'll catch you all the other end of this episode. All right, welcome Paul War to episode 99 of the Youth Ministry of Motion podcast. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome, glad to be here. Well, Paul, this is, I mean, you missed it by one, Paul. I mean, you almost made it to 100, but the order of things, the order of things tells me you're on episode 99. I hope that's okay with you.
1: That's perfectly all right.
0: Uh, so, Paul, tell us. Uh you're uh you you uh are in a uh interesting job. Tell us a bit about your journey. How'd you uh how did you come to um you know youth ministry and uh uh the work you're doing now?
1: So I am the spiritual life coordinator. Uh I tell people just think chaplain um at a youth residential treatment facility. Um so we have youth that come in and stay and live at our place for a short time, and they, they get treatment that they need while they're there, uh, mental health treatment. Um, so I was a – when I was uh, in junior high, actually, um, I, that's when I really started feeling the Lord call me to youth ministry, uh, not to like being a senior pastor because nothing sounds more miserable to me than that. <laughs> um
0: I, I, but, I for some reason I, I I tend to agree with you.
1: Yeah, but that um people ask me all the time, when are you gonna transition to being a senior pastor? And I'm like, when God definitely calls me there. Like that's yes. gotta be a real God thing to make that happen.
0: How bad does it have to get before we become senior pastors? That's really the question.
1: Exactly. So so I felt called all youth ministry. I had a wonderful youth pastor at the time who let me lead Bible studies and uh gave me opportunities to to explore that calling while I was still in my youth group Um, and I was in a youth band and we traveled around to different churches and and things like that Um, and then uh, I was uh, going through college and all that and and I was I had joined the Air Force uh, for a time and while I was there I really felt like maybe just doing chaplaincy was a thing maybe you know so I started going to school um, working on my master's for that and uh, that ended up not not being the direction to go. So uh, this opened up, and I was like, This is like youth ministry and chaplaincy together. Like, this is awesome. Uh, and so uh, I dove right in head first. So I hope that's a short enough explanation. Well,
0: no, listen, you could, it's short or long, it doesn't matter. Our, our guests here today, both through YouTube and through the magic of audio, are happy to hear anything you wanna talk about today, Paul, because it's an important subject, because we're, we're, you know, we're, we're starting off light now, but I think it's gonna get a little deeper and possibly a little heavier as we go in. So any, any introduction uh, that prepares us for that would be awesome because um, you know, the role that you have, and, and every youth pastor listening has a kid, more than likely, that's been in their youth group that has uh, been through something traumatic. Uh, oh. And so, keeping you know, keeping that in mind, what you're about to offer us today is uh, going to be super valuable. And your and your journey with um, uh, you're having a good youth pastor, by the way, is uh, key. I think. So would you agree with that? To your Absolutely. journey,
1: that is. I, I was just thinking about this the other day. I had a good youth pastor, and then I interned with a phenomenal youth pastor. And um, I, I think investing in people is one of the key things youth pastors do well, um, good youth pastors do well. And I had, I definitely had two uh, people who invested in me that really helped me get to where I'm at.
0: Well, uh, let me tell you something. That's, uh, I always tell people, you know, that I have, I can tell you three, you know, that I, uh, my, my youth ministry, uh, lineage, if you will, that I had three really good youth pastors that helped form and shape who I am. Uh, one was all about telling me about the, relationships, compassion, uh, those things. One was about knowledge, uh, reading, study, and one was about evangelism and souls. And so if that to me is like the perfect, you know, cocktail of, of things. And you've had, sounds like you've had a lot of the same thing of investment uh, on that level that has brought you now to becoming this chaplain for these kids that, uh, that have gone through these things. Tell us a little bit about your role there. What do you do there with um, with the students as a chaplain,
1: yeah, so what we do um, on a regular basis is uh, we have Sunday services for the kids, and we have um, we have a pretty large campus uh, we and, and our kids are kind of broken up based upon treatment levels and and different things, and so we end up having somewhere between five to seven services on a Sunday. Um, it just kind of depends on on how things work
0: out that's uh, a lot of that's a lot of services that is a big that is a big yes. facility. If you're having five to seven services on a Sunday, yeah, you're, we you're we like a between, mega pastor. Yeah, we have between
1: 150 and 200 kids usually, depending on the day um, at our facility. It kind of fluctuates back and forth, but but yeah. So, and like I said, based upon their treatment and stuff, some of them cannot be in the same areas and things. So we have to break it up. Sure. So yeah, I'm doing a lot of small services um, throughout the day on Sundays and I have some volunteers that help sometimes. Um, but it, most of that, you know, falls onto me. So I, I do that. I prepare the lessons. I coordinate our volunteers. Um, I re- try to recruit volunteers. Um, I work with kids. um, you know, we'll have counselors and things that will refer kids to me if they're having spiritual concerns or spiritual issues where the counselor feels like it's kind of outside of their scope or outside of their purview. Yeah. They'll actually refer kids to me. Um, kids who, there have been kids who have, uh, church has been a big uh, part of their family life before they came to our facility. And so the counselor feels that that needs to be part of their treatment planning. And so they'll bring me in sometimes um, for those things as well. We are a, What's interesting is we're a not-for-profit organization, but we're not a faith-based
0: organization. See, I was going to ask you that, whether or not you were a faith-based organization uh, with that. But, but hearing that you're not, that's even, that's even more amazing.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, my position does not typically exist, is uh, what I keep telling people. Um, when I got my position, I tried to find people like me in facilities like mine. Um, I found a handful throughout the country. Wow, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I found a handful throughout the country, um, but most facilities that are not faith based um, kind of ignore the spirituality aspect. And our facility believes that that's part of the whole well-being of the resident. So, and with me being, I live in Central Indiana, so with me being in Central Indiana, um, if our residents have any kind of experience with spirituality at all, it's Christian. Um, and so that, that kind of makes that an easier path
0: as well. Well, sure. And I, I don't see how, um, how facilities such as this can ignore the spiritual dynamic or the spiritual component of anybody's treatment. I mean, it's even in, even in the most secular, I would think that, that at least the term spirituality would, would at least be a buzzword that, you know, that you should at least pay attention to.
1: Well, if you go to um, SAMHSA's website, the uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration, their uh, Services Administration site, their on their trauma-informed care for organizations, and then they list like categories that you need to be considering. Spirituality is one of the categories wow. that they list, but like most people, just kind of uh, what I know. Notice a lot of facilities around us, like some in Indianapolis and some of the other uh, bigger cities what they'll do is they'll have like a van that'll take kids to church if they want to. Yeah. And then they'll check that box off and say, well, we provided spiritual services. Right. Uh, and it's, that's not exactly because you have a lot of kids that don't want to go to church, but still have a lot of spiritual questions, a lot of spiritual conversations that they want to have. And so I'm, I'm there for those conversations and I'm there to walk alongside them. I tell people all the time, every single one of us is on a faith journey, right? Yep. We're at different spots on that journey, but we're on a faith journey. My job and my my and my facility is to walk along our residents as they walk on that journey.
0: Well, and that is such a such a, a, a un- I mean it's such a, un- a unique opportunity in regards to the fact that that you have these students who like you said, some have background, some don't, but you are there walking the halls, making visits and answering questions as you go versus a typical youth pastor who says, hey, I'll, I'll answer all your questions as long as I got 45 minutes and, you know, yeah. it's program driven. Uh, you know, you, you you are literally walking the halls and saying, hey, I'm here. I am present with you in this moment. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, it is.
1: It's a unique opportunity for me. Uh, most youth pastors, like you said, you've got an hour, two hours with your kids during the week. You know, I can I can go see my kids every single day. Um, you know, they have other programs, other things that are in there. Obviously, they we have schools on campus, that. Sure. At, but um, but there's time, there are time slots where I can go into the cottages where they live, um, and I can go watch their basketball practice, and I can go, you know, do different things on campus.
0: Yeah, that,
1: um, that's part of my job, you know, and the youth pastors, um, you know, I've been a youth pastor, a typical youth pastor in a typical church, and sometimes you get to do those things, and sometimes you don't. Um, usually that stuff gets put background
0: so. how do this is just a, a, a off uh, off our question base but how do families um respond to you being a part of that journey are you are you a welcome part of the of the uh, overall treatment
1: um that's a tricky question um and one that i don't really know the answer to because mm-hmm. families are typically not heavily involved at this point in the game Right. So the kids that are at our facility are 100% court-ordered Um This isn't a place, some facilities, you know, places uh, people can bring their kids. Like, oh, my kid has a substance abuse issue. Oh, I'm going to bring him to this treatment facility or something. Our facility is not like that. Our facility, they have to be court-ordered to be there. So right. at this point, the is already involved. DCS is already involved. Family services is already involved. And a lot of times, these kids are <clears throat> either their mom and dad's in jail, their mom and dad's in rehab, they may not know who both parents are, but parents might not be alive. Uh, Or the court might be in the process of removing their parental rights. And so while some kids do have good family involvement, um, others do not. And so, and while I'm on campus, I I don't really interact with them. They'll come for visits sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'll see, see them kind of in the middle of a visit and some, you know, if they're walking from their cottage to somewhere else and I'm walking on my way, they'll say hi. And they're like, Hey, that's, you know, pastor Paul or that's our preacher guy or something like that. Or Bible. Um, I get all kinds of. Sure. Uh, one kid said that. <laughs> yeah, he said, Hey, that's my priest. Like, well, not a priest,
0: but whatever. <laughs> I'll take it. Father Paul. Um, I got called father Paul a number of times. So sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um,
1: so when those types of interactions happen, um, they seem to be positive. Sometimes, I, I, I just noticed the other day, um, I was walking down a hallway behind our courtroom because for us, the, the family court is on our facility. Our facility is very unique. Everything is housed in one location so yeah. that our kids don't be carted around you know, the state. Yeah. Uh, so the family court is actually on our grounds. Um, and so they were walking down the hall from the family court with their parents. I'm like, hey, Pastor Paul. And I waved. And the mom had this really confused look on her face. And I, and I, I, I stopped. And I thought, I wonder if she's confused because this isn't a Christian facility or if she's confused because maybe church isn't a part of their life. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, I did have one instance where right outside of my office, my office has two doors to it. Uh, one that kind of goes to our main facility and one uh, for some weird reason goes to the waiting room for the court and so sometimes if I walk through that way I'll see kids who were residents um, who are coming back in for court uh, with their families and things and they'll talk to me and I had one resident who um, his dad seemed very involved and very interested in and we engaged and talked for a while. Talked with him. Talked with his dad. His dad was telling me what a good job he was doing. He was on the track. Um, I ran into his dad at the hardware store a couple months later, and he was giving me an update and and, and all of those kinds of things. So his dad seemed pretty positive and pretty um, happy about that. But um, that kind of interaction is rare, uh, right. uh, Which I don't like, but it's the nature of of where we're at.
0: Yeah, exactly. So tell us too with the with kids coming in what kind of kids are you seeing come through i don't know if there's um i mean once again it's all manner of things you you said that could happen whether that it's court ordered people are there but is there something you're seeing that kids are coming in you know that that through no no fault of their own uh but they're having to be there are you seeing any kind of um uh I don't know, for lack of a better word, trends or or what's happening or what's breaking up these families or what's causing this chaos that, that these kids have to be here? Or are you seeing anything like that? Yeah,
1: so um, there's a, a a thing that we gauge trauma by. It's called ACEs or an ACE score. Um, are you familiar with that?
0: I am not, but please tell me.
1: So back in the 90s, um, a hospital out in California, Kaiser Permanente, got with the CDC and they did a study on adverse childhood experiences. Um, that's that ACE, and so that's where the ACE comes from. And they found that adverse childhood experiences um, are, um, they, they cause bigger problems than what we think. Um, and so adverse childhood experiences are things like um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, exposure to drug abuse, um, exposure to uh, domestic violence, you know, maybe you weren't being abused, but you watched your mom be abused all the time, um, being uh, exposed to um, significant death, like maybe they, you know, parent committed suicide or, or something along those. So those are, um, I think I listed all of them, but um, oh, parents that are being incarcerated, that can be a, an adverse childhood experience. Yeah, so so there's, they had this list of adverse childhood experiences, and they had three categories, abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. Um, and so they found that people who had a higher score, so if you had one, let's say I saw mom abused every night for five years, that still counts as one, because it's just one type of... It's
0: one type of yeah, abuse, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so the score was from zero to 10, and they found that anybody who had higher than a four, most people, you and I and, and most people down the street, have somewhere between a zero and a four um, on their on their scale. Uh, but if you have higher than a four, they started finding that there are significant health uh, risks, uh, increased chances of heart disease, increased, increased chance of cancer, increased chance of um, lots of lots of health problems, and what what was interesting is they found that this was the case, even if the person did not engage in risky behaviors. So, like my when I started hearing that, my first thought was, oh well, yeah, because if you experience these things, you're more likely to smoke, you're more likely to drink, you're more likely, to, right? You're more likely to engage in health risk behaviors. Right. And, and what this study found is even the people who didn't participate in uh, risky behaviors still had twice the chance of getting cancer, twice the chance. And so there's something physiological that happens when somebody experiences trauma. There's something psychological and physiological. It's all tied together. So anyways, so for our kids that come into our facility, I don't think any of them have a score under six. Mm. Um, They're, they've all experienced significant amounts of trauma. um, From Abuse sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect there are there are some some things that you just don't even want to think that are even possible that human beings do. Um, we have parents that sell their kids to people for sex for drug money um, you know and so when you say what's the trend, I would say trauma is the trend yeah, and that comes in different forms yeah uh, and really, when I say trauma from a spiritual stance I think we should hear evil
0: mm.
1: evil is the trend um, and and physically that that reveals itself in trauma and that comes from uh, lots of different things but unfortunately it it usually comes from the parents not always but it usually comes from either the parents active abuse or passive neglect
0: mm well that is that is a, that's a powerful statement, Paul. Let me just unpack that for for a minute here that evil is the trend yeah just just and trauma is the is the manifestation of that evil that these kids are that these kids are suffering,
1: yeah, that's my theological perspective at least
0: well no, I think that's i think that's certainly a wise uh i mean you're you're fully in the position to 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 diagnose that. Uh, because you're seeing it week in week out um, now most youth pastors are not in it the way you're in it they're um, you know how often i mean like I said, chances are there are kids within a um, within a youth program of those that are watching those that are listening they have kids in there, but maybe they don't maybe there's you could give us a little help too because you you see it, but um you know because you're you're trained to see it, you're trained to watch for it. But tell us a little bit about, you know, from uh, how do we, how can we be more, as youth workers, be more uh, diligent in spotting things? What are some things maybe that youth pastors need to look for to make sure that say, look, not every kid in this group is the same. Not every kid in this group is is okay. Uh, and, I you know, to be fully aware of that, maybe some things that youth pastors need to be on the lookout for.
1: So there are, there are a few things here. Um, one. When I, when I work with my kids at my facility, 100% of them have experienced trauma, and I know that, right? I go into yeah. it knowing it, and that's an assumption. And I let that impact the way that I preach. I let that impact the way that I guide discussions. I let that impact the way that I pray. Um, I get a shift report every morning, and on it tells me all the events that have happened, kids that attempted to run away, kids that attempted suicide, kids that attempted, you know, all these things throughout the day, kids that got in fights, um, kids that got kicked out of school. And so I I look through that shift report, and I pray for every single one of those kids for those instances. Um, I try to do that every single day, uh, first thing when I come in. Um, You don't get that as a youth pastor. You don't know who's experienced trauma and who hasn't. But my, my first advice would be to don't wonder, do not wonder if there are kids in your youth group who have experienced trauma. Know that they're already there. You may not know who they are, and you may not know what has experienced, what, what, ha, what they've experienced in their lives, right. but know that they're there. Um, the CDC came out with a study, uh, a statistic that said that uh, 60, I believe 64% of Americans um, have experienced um, at least one ACE in their life, one, one traumatic event um, as a child growing up. Um, They've found that, I believe it's, well, I think Indiana, where I'm at, it's 24% have at least two ACEs or higher. I think nationwide it's 30-something percent. So that means that one in four, one in three, one in four of the kids in your youth group either have experienced or are going to experience before they're 18 um, one of these events. Um, now that, you know, that changes a little bit from area to area, but just sure. assume that. Right. So that should impact. How I talk about God to them, Um, that should impact how I counsel, how I make myself available, um, those kinds of things. Sure. So first is that that mindset shift. The second mindset shift that we need to make as youth workers is, and I have have an article of this on my my blog. um,
0: shout it out where, where can they find it? go ahead and just shout out your blog go ahead and tell them yeah uh, go to
1: prward.com okay and there's like a blog tab and a bunch of other stuff sure but the blog tab, i have uh some articles on this um and and i tell a story of a kid named steven and that, that's not his real name um sure. it's a real kid and and he has a traumatic event and and um, i kind of story narrate all of that but I, but the in Stephen's situation, things got worse when the youth worker stepped in because the youth worker had an attitude of, what is wrong with this
0: kid? Wow. Versus, what has happened to this kid?
1: And I've done the same thing. You know, I was in traditional youth ministry for a long time. I, <clears throat> I volunteered in youth ministry programs as a youth worker while I was going to college, and while, you know, so, so I've been in youth ministry, working with youth for almost two decades now, and I've done the same thing. I've had this, you know, the same kid comes in, and he cusses up a storm while he's in, you know, and he's the one who's, like, pushing people on the basketball courts, and he's the one that's, you know, bringing stuff in that he knows he's not allowed to bring, you know, and you, you have that, those kids, and you think, man, this is just, what is wrong with this kid, right? Like yeah. you try you try and you try. Instead, I go back and I think, what was wrong with that kid? Like what actually happened to them that made them want to act out this way that made them feel either these behaviors are normal or that this is the best way I can get the attention I need, you know? Um, and well, I think well, back to one kid in particular that I actually kicked out of youth
0: group one time.
1: And i and I needed to for the safety of other people sure we've all had
0: the one kid we, we yeah, there's a
1: balance here. but sure. this kid sure. and he eventually came back and all of that, but i I look back and I now know what I didn't know then, which was that his parents were physically abusive. Um, he came with some other kids, I didn't really know his family, but now he's an adult and um and now I know. And his parents were physically abusive. And looking back, I'm like, oh, okay, so he was just acting out the trauma, right, that he was experiencing at home. And so what can we as youth workers do about that? Not a lot about the trauma they're experiencing at home, unless there's something legal that you need to report or something along those lines.
0: Yes, absolutely. But
1: but it it changes my attitude when I'm working with the kids it changes the things that i say how they say them you know does that make sense oh absolutely so the first recommendation would just be these attitude
0: shifts well and i think too you you make uh, you make the great point you know that that the attitude of the the youth worker says you know what's wrong with this kid and that is a that's a that's the essence of program driven right why yes. is this kid not adapting to this program or my program or why is he screwing this thing? Why is this kid coming in and screwing up this thing? When the reality is, is saying, look, the program is irrelevant to the needs of this kid. In other words, we're not we're not just running a program. We're creating a space where kids can come in. And if the program's good for them, that's great. But I have to be aware that there are kids who are, are not just they're not just squirrely teenagers. They're not just uh, you know, hormone driven, you know. Uh, little tyrants they're they're kids who have come in with uh some trauma and once again it may not be significant trauma as we're saying where it's an abuse situation but certainly divorce is a trauma
1: well and that divorce is one of the aces if you've experienced divorce that gives you a one you know and so like me my parents were divorced when i was growing up i have an adverse childhood experience and that does impact things um for different people it impacts it at different levels but it does
0: right and my dad my dad passed when i was eight years old and he died of cancer and it was a traumatic it was a traumatic experience i don't know maybe i could be a seven i don't even know what they but it was bad that's all i can tell you um but but you know but thankfully like like i said that i have i had good youth workers who were super aware of that you know that weren't um you know that there were certain levels that youth groups at least early on, I was part of youth groups where uh, smaller youth groups where the youth patch could really know me uh, and know my story and know those things, so that was obviously uh, super helpful. but so many times we cram a bunch of kids in a room and now they we, we all want to you know youth workers you know myself included to have done it, you know want everybody to kind of homogenize and like, okay, everybody get on the same page here, we're kind of moving forward, we're trying to build a program, and you know what you're saying is, is being aware, coming in with the attitude that be aware kids are coming into your group every week with trauma and trauma. I would also say too trauma could be, you're getting bullied at school. That's traumatic. You're getting, you're getting your butt candid to you every day in lunch or wherever in the gym. Uh, and you're going through, you know, and I, and I think the mentality is, uh, and even from parents too you know, walk it off. Right. It's like, Hey, walk it off. You're going, you're get up. You're going to be fine. And really that's not, that's not the correct, you're saying that's probably not the best attitude is to just say, walk it off.
1: Right. Right. Or like you said, conform to this thing that we're doing over here, you know, um, that's not going to help work through the real problems that are going on. I mean, when did Jesus ever tell anybody to conform to his program? Uh,
0: not a lot. He,
1: he really did it. I mean, look at when he dealt with <clears throat> the woman uh, who was brought to him in adultery, right? Think about a traumatic experience that that was for her. Drugs wow. through the streets, probably naked, right? The, the worst guilt and shame that she had put on display there for thousands of people to see in the middle of the temple courts. What a traumatic event and what a traumatic experience. Yeah. What was Jesus' reaction? I'm not throwing any stones, right? Right. I'm not condemning you. And he told her to go and sin no more, but that was only after he showed her the grace and the love and the peace and the patience. And so our first reaction often is conform first to this program, and then we'll show you the grace and love that we have time for. Yeah. Jesus's was backwards. You know, he's like, yes, I do want you to conform to this kingdom way of living. I do want that. But that can only happen after you've experienced grace, love,
0: and peace of Christ. Right, right. Come as you are, right? That's what we've always said. So the gospel has always said, come wherever you're at, come whoever you are, whatever you've been through. But man, I would say what a great study that would be in the sense of understanding the Bible through trauma, right? Who has gone New Testament wise, maybe Old Testament, severely traumatic. Just ask Isaac. That's, that was traumatic. That's- yeah you go the,
1: just go through genesis right look at joseph
0: Look yes. at joseph's life he
1: had an a score of like a 20 i don't you oh, know like
0: ridiculous
1: it, just go through the old testament how screwed up people's lives were in genesis we you know my wife and i have been <clears throat> through this like rereading through the bible thing we're going you know every night we're trying to read yeah um, and just going from beginning to end kind of thing together and and she made the comment she's like i forget sometimes like, just how screwed up this, it, this is really messed up stuff. And I'm like, it is, it really, really is. And yet yeah. God's, God's work in that and his grace and that is tremendous.
0: But I think that's, but, and youth workers that are listening and watching, you guys, listen, take a look at scripture from the point of view of these traumatic experiences. I mean, this is just an epiphany I'm having in the sense of we focus on a lot of things, but we don't focus on, how really terrible this was and and relating that to possible incidences that kids are currently going through that is creating this anxiety, this depression, this all these things. that are, I mean, once again, nobody's getting, as far as I know, being taken up to a mountainside and, and being offered uh, as a sacrifice. And nobody's being thrown in a pit and, and sold off to slavery in that regard. But there is significant amounts of things that are going on that probably we as youth workers need to explore once again we're not health professionals and the, 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 some of you yeah. are listening some of you watching might be we're not asking you to be health professionals we're asking mm-hmm. right we're, we're saying look just be conscious of the fact that both what you're reading and whom you're talking to have some similarities in the sense of trauma that has gone into this and that helping a kid work through some mental health issues uh, and those things which I think leads us into our next question here is how would you then define, because you have this significant relationship with students um, day in, day out. Youth workers don't have that day in, day out with those things. What do you recommend that once a youth worker finds out that there's trauma going on and that's, there is no, there's no, you can't say small. There's no small trauma. If a kid's experienced trauma, it's trauma. So if there, whether it's divorce or something else, how does that relationship, that discipleship relationship going forward, what, is that, what, can, what extra steps or care, or, or does it change? Does it change significantly from a kid who's been through literally almost nothing to the kid who's been through almost everything? How does, then, how does one go forward, and is there a difference in how you disciple a student who's been through something like that versus somebody not?
1: Well, I think there's probably not as much of a difference. I mean, there's a little bit more care and a little bit more attention to their specific need, but I think we should be doing that as part of discipleship anyways. Sure, absolutely. Especially with kids. Um, Yuri uh, Brofenbrenner, who is a was a child psychologist, I think he's still alive, um, but he he's put a lot of stuff out there that is now being used in this this trauma-informed approach, he said, and I, and I wrote it down because uh, I knew I was probably going to come up sometime. He wrote, every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. Every child, and, and for him, that's anybody under 18, right? Any youth needs at least one adult. We, this is what we need, trauma or not. Every youth needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. Right. And if God's love is not irrationally crazy, I don't know what is. And, and if we're then supposed to convey that love, then what an awesome opportunity for the youth worker, because I'm not the parent in that situation. Right. right? If a kid calls me and, and needs something or, or needs help with something or, Hey, can we grab coffee? You know, sure. Um, have you ever read, Bob Goff's book, Love Does. I have. Okay, so I think that's the book where he tells the story where he was going to go be a rock, a mountain climbing instructor or something. Yes, yes. His his youth for Christ worker, I think it was Youth for Christ, one of those, one of those national youth groups, left, right, left and went with him for like a couple days out into the mountains and they camped out and all that stuff. He's like. He's like, you know, before you go do this crazy thing, let me go with you, and he brings a backpack and and goes with him, and then comes back, but it doesn't work out, you know, Bob Goff fails, they come back a few days later, and Bob Goff said he found out that that guy had just recently gotten married and left his wife at home. Now, I'm sure she was okay with the situation, but, like, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering it was something along those lines, but this guy did something that we would say is irrational and dumb and stupid, right? Because how many times in youth ministry do you say, I'm going to set that aside. Now I'm not saying put, sacrifice your family to your ministry. I'm not saying that at all. Make sure you're on Make sure you marry the right person. If you're a youth pastor, who's not married, right? Make sure you're married to somebody who's willing to be irrationally crazy with you. That's Um, a good point. And, and so that allows you the opportunity then to, offer these kids something that nobody else is offering them. When it comes to somebody who's, who's experiencing that trauma, they don't have that person in their life. I did. Growing up, I had my mom and my dad. I think both were probably that way. But um, You know, I had, and I had youth workers who were in my life and I had other family members and, and things. I was surrounded by people who, who really loved, cared, and supported me. But those people who are experiencing, those kids that are walking into your youth group who have experienced significant trauma, a lot of times don't have anybody like that. In their yeah. lives. There is no safe place. Your youth group is the only safe place that they have. And you may be the only loving adult that they feel that they can trust. And so sometimes you have to be that person who's irrationally crazy for them. And so I think that if you look at your discipleship through that lens, uh, that might help.
0: Well, oh, I think that is so, uh, so significant to be to 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 treat every kid because regardless right it's not let's find out who's who it's treat everybody with the same irrational amount of love because you don't know who needs it on what day they need it it changes yeah and, and i might
1: have good healthy parents and, and good healthy relationship but maybe something happened at school today that i didn't want to tell them about and and i come into your youth group and i'm really broken about it you know and and you, there's an opportunity you show me that crazy love
0: right that is exactly it and uh paul that is just so, so such a significant amount of uh wisdom there and i hope our listeners and i hope our uh viewers here uh will definitely get in contact can you give us a little more of of when uh where youth workers can get a hold of you i know you do some training uh, i know you do some speaking occasionally as well uh mm-hmm. and maybe they want to get a hold of you and maybe get some more uh ideas or thoughts or maybe even bring you in uh, to talk about uh, trauma and those things. Uh, so, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, so I already mentioned my blog or my website. There's prward.com. There's a, a, a booking section where you can invite me. There's like there's like a form on it where you can invite me to come in and speak if you want. Um, you can reach out on Twitter. It's at prward. Um, Instagram at the prward because prward was already taken. Um, and then uh, Paul Ward Ministries on Facebook. Just look that up. Um, those are probably the three best ways to to contact me. Um, again, go to my website. Those links are at the bottom of the website too. So you can you can go through there. Um, I try to respond to everything I can uh, as quickly as I can. Yep. Uh, and then um, I also have, for people who are wanting to follow up, um, you know, this is all very surface level yeah. stuff. Um, I have created a resource um, called the four R's of trauma-informed ministry. Um, and, uh, that, if you go to my website, um, uh, and click on Tim, T I M trauma-informed ministry, there's a link. It'll send you if you, if you put your email in there, I'll shoot you uh, that resource in an email. Um, so you can have that. It's like a little ebook, mm-hmm. um, still not super deep because, um, trying to stay in our link, right? It's not a clinical resource. It's not a psychology well, resource. You're right. not going to. Psychology professional by reading it, but it is a resource to help youth workers begin to have the discussions that we need to be having to become more trauma informed. And when I say trauma informed ministry, I don't want people to think, "Oh, well, I have to revolve my whole ministry around this trauma thing." Yeah. That's not it at all. No. It's doing the ministry you're already doing with some new information. It's trauma informed ministry. It's right. not trauma ministry. Um, I'm For you to do trauma ministry, you would have to do a lot more schooling and education and things like that. But trauma-informed ministry—something we should all be doing—and and and I like your emphasis on discipleship, um, because I think as I've you know been doing this for a few years now, and as I as I study it and as I learn it and as I grow in it, I really think that discipleship is probably the best way to do. Excuse me, trauma-informed ministry. You can't have a program that meets these needs. Um, And I feel like from the 90s to early 2000s, maybe even late 80s, we shifted in this program mentality, this growth mentality. And we're living in the hangover of that right now um, as a church culture. And I think that when we get back to doing what Jesus called us to do, which is discipleship, some of these trauma-informed approaches come out naturally.
0: Exactly. And every youth worker that's listening and every youth worker that's watching limit, I think Paul and I are both encouraging, stay in your lane, right? Don't, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to be any of those things. You just have to be a good youth pastor. You have to stay in your lane. You have to do your relationships right. You have to, you have to pay attention. Uh, You have to spend time. You have to, Uh, Do those things. So don't feel like after listening to this, like, oh my gosh, I got to change everything. It's like, I got to, you know, go to school now and I got to. No, you just have to be, as Paul says, irrationally in love with some of your, a lot, all your students. You have to be irrationally in love with them uh, and be ready at that time that when those students give you opportunity and give you permission to be in their lives, is to show up and listen and be a part of that. And you don't have to be. Uh, uh, you know, what, what Paul does on a daily basis. You just have to be that, uh, at least on a weekly basis. (laughs) You have to just pay attention, pay attention to the kids in your youth group. So Paul, thank you so much. You've given us so much to think about today. And, um, you know, these youth workers that are watching and listening, if you have questions, by the way, uh, watchers uh, and listeners, uh, feel free to leave some comments down below. And uh, if you're listening via the podcast, go ahead and be sure to drop Paul, a, uh, a, a little uh, note there and thanking him for being on the program and uh, check out his stuff. Get that download. Uh, that is going to be Trauma-Informed Ministry. I think every ministry needs to be informed about what's going on. And so that is a great resource. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for that. And thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure, definitely. And I, I like any
0: opportunity to get more
1: information out there for youth workers.
0: And that. Youth Workers. That is such an informative episode. I hope that you go down into the show notes, find the link for Trauma Informed Ministry, the little PDF that Paul put together. It is super, super valuable. Uh, go download it, and uh, you will uh, certainly be benefited by the information in there uh, that will keep you focused on the fact that not every kid that is coming into your youth ministry is okay. And, uh, and then what you can do about that. So thank you so much for joining me for episode 99 today of the Youth Ministry Motion podcast, the podcast that keeps you motivated and keeps your youth ministry moving forward. Thank you so much for listening and uh, I'll catch you in episode 100.